welcome to episode eight of the Little Miss Sunshine podcast. Today I'm chatting to Alan, who was diagnosed with relapsing remitting MS in 2019. Join me as we chat about his symptoms and his diagnosis and how he's adapted the activity of Canny Cross to suit him. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. Lovely to chat to you. Hi. How are you feeling today? I'm not feeling too bad today. I've had a couple of busy days, but today I'm actually okay. Up, dressed, ready to speak to you. Fantastic, fantastic. So, as I understand it, you were diagnosed with relapsing remitting MS in 2019. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about any symptoms that you might have experienced um prior to diagnosis or around your diagnosis and then perhaps how how they diagnosed you uh, yeah um i used to do a, a sport called canny cross i was doing a lot of running and training at the time um, i found my my first symptom was my eyesight started to go um so i spoke to a few different people was eventually referred to the, the hospital to speak to the ophthalmology people um, he went through a few tests with me few books, um, a few other eye exams, um, and decided that I had a couple of things that was concerning them. Um, one was optoneuritis, the other one was something called Uthoff's phenomenon. Um, what I was getting was kind of distorted vision with like sharp edges mm. um, and blood vision. Um, when I was doing the running, I was getting a fogginess that was coming in um, on my right eye. Um, I kind of threw up a couple of warnings for him. Uh, he ordered an MRI for me, um, so I got the MRI done. He ordered um, my orbits, which is the back of your eyes, and my head. Um, so I went for that just before Christmas. Um, basically, the results came back to him. I had a follow-up appointment with him. Um, he'd looked through it. He, he was concerned by what he saw. Because he's a, an eye doctor, um, he couldn't actually make a, a diagnosis of mm. MS as yeah. what it was. Um, so on the back of that, he then referred me to neurology. Um, but I mean, speaking to an eye doctor, an ophthalmologist about something you think that's wrong with your eyes that kind of expands and manifests itself into something that you hadn't even considered. Mm. Was, Scary. Was quite a... Totally, because I, I was exactly the same as you, that I... I had an eye problem. That was my first symptom. I had optic neuritis. And you're, you're think, just thinking there's something wrong with your eye. And then they mention yeah. MS. I know, when you've got, you wear glasses. When you wear glasses, you know, something that goes wrong with your eye, you automatically think, I'm due a new prescription. It must be something simple. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't, um, which was a bit of a, a shock. And it's one of those things, they tell you that, and then you've got to wait to get your next appointment so you've got that couple of months where you don't really want to tell anybody that I might have this um, yeah. until you know for, for sure yourself um, but it still sits in the back of your mind and sort of just trundles over every day every time you have another episode of your eye not being great you think oh is it getting worse is it the same as it was last time yeah um, it just everything every little thing starts to worry you then you start to notice other things you know, you start to notice that you've tripped up one day or you've dropped something another day. Yeah. And then you start to panic. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's I mean, tough. that was 
that was the the main symptoms at the start was definitely my eyes. Um, I think my wife maybe noticed another couple of things. Um, being a nurse, I think she's always on the lookout. Um, yeah. But I think she probably noticed more than I had. A lot of things I put down to one-off events, you know, a trip, a fall, a drop. Uh, mm. Couldn't remember a word, you know, but she'd obviously maybe put it together over the months leading up to that, I think. I think family and friends do notice, don't they? I mean, we just kind of go, oh, no, yeah, that I tripped today, you know, there was just I tripped over the slab or yeah. you, you don't associate it, but other people looking in start thinking, hmm, is there something else going too, on? I think you can be too close to it. You can be too involved and right on the, yeah. the point of what's happening. You're not seeing the bigger picture sometimes. Mm. Um, we've been to Berlin for my 40th birthday and Berlin's like a, a billiard table. There's not anything out of place. Everything's perfect. The streets are perfect. The pavements are perfect. And I was having a few trips. I, mean, I managed to, I never actually went down. I managed to catch myself. Um, but I've done that a few times and I kind of never really thought much of it. Um, mm. But again, we saw people yeah, when we saw people mm -hmm. later on, um, Lorraine had basically, I'd said, I've one or two trips and do it now and again. She basically went, well, he does it all the time. So I was like, oh, right, okay. Mm. So, that was yeah, a wake-up call, I think. Yeah, definitely. There's really, it's, it's, it's just putting all those, it's the bits of the jigsaw together, isn't it? And you're yeah. starting to think there's more bits coming together to perhaps lean in the direction of an MS diagnosis, I suppose. Yeah, and I think the, the problem with that I saw being told by an ophthalmologist and having to wait to get to the neurologist is that nobody ever puts a good story on Google. It's always <laughs> worst case. Don't Google. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no, no one ever goes, I had a great experience with the MS. I had a great they, they don't do that. It's always the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of learned from that that Google's not the best place to go looking for stuff. But if you do go looking for stuff, things like the actual proper websites, the MS Society, MS Trust, Shift.ms, mm -hmm. all these kind of things are, are probably more vetted and it's more accurate information they're giving you because it's a society or a trust that's that's giving yeah. it. Yeah. I think that's something I learned from that experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we always joke on the podcast that don't Google because everyone does Google. You you say don't, and they do. Um, but I mean, so you had to wait for the or tests will come back, and you had to wait to see your neurologist. And and is that when is that when he diagnosed? Was it just the optic neuritis that? No, um, I went and saw the neurologist. Um, it was quite in depth. I was in probably about an hour and 15 minutes with them. Wow. Um, they did everything from, um, you know, holding your finger on your nose and then try to touch their hand. Yeah. They had little um, sharp kind of needly thing going down my legs, checking for change in sensation, um, standing on my heels, standing on my toes. They were quite yeah. thorough. Um, and she basically said um, that, there was hard markers and soft markers that would, you know, point towards one thing or the other. Um, okay. And I was shown quite a few, I think it was five soft markers that I had, uh, but wasn't exhibiting any hard markers. So I was like, right, okay. So, I mean, that was, at the time, that was a little glimmer of hope. Um, but even though I'd only had the MRI in uh, December, and it was only three months later when I saw them in, in March, 
um, she ordered another MRI because she wanted to see if anything had changed between mm. the December and the March. Um, yeah. So again, we had to wait for that to come through. Um, more of a wait. Um, and then went for the, the second MRI. And when I got the results for that, um, there was quite a bit of a change. Um, it was like six new lesions. And because she'd done yeah. the top of the spine as well, um, they'd noticed plaques uh, in her spinal cord. But it was hard to tell if they were new or old or, or what, what they were, because they'd never done the first time around, because it was only really the eyes they were looking at, yeah. the brain. Um, but yeah, on the back of that, um, the diagnosis was that it was MS. Um, and I got a phone call and told over the phone. <laughs> um, Do you know what? COVID. I, I know, yeah, I, I spoke to um, a guy on the podcast, um, Phil, about he was newly diagnosed during, the, during COVID and he was told over the phone. I spoke to you briefly the other day and you told me you'd been told over the phone pre-COVID times. Yeah, I mean... That's it was a bit of a shock because it wasn't the neurologist I'd seen um, it was somebody else the neurologist that I'd seen um, had actually went on holiday um, oh so that's alright then yeah it was fine yeah business as usual um, back when you could actually go on holiday um, but yeah her, her results had been sent to this other guy that I'd never heard of he was um, like head of neurology at Edinburgh University something um, and he'd phoned and basically just said you know this is what you got. Um, how do you feel about it? And at the time, it's, it's a kind of on-the-spot question. Um, but I think it was the best of a bad bunch when you think about what it could have been that was causing you to not be able to see properly at one eye or fall over yeah. or drop things. Okay. Or mm. It could be something far more dramatic um, with a lot more of a bleak, not a, a great prospect, but a lot more of a bleak yeah. short-term prospect. Um, so, I mean, yeah. It was a bit of a shock. Went downstairs, spoke to Lorraine, had a bit of a moment where we couldn't decide whether to laugh, cry, be happy, be sad. Yeah. Um, and then, then you end up going down the route having to tell your parents, and your friends. and I mean, there was a small group of people, um, particularly at the running, that I'd kind of mentioned it to, that it was a possibility. And it was mainly just um, really, really close friends that we have there. Um, just in case I fell, or tripped or yeah. something and I didn't you know they're going ah it's fine I'll, I'll sort of kind of thing um it was made it more of a kind of safety blanket that somebody else knew that I might be in bother um mm -hmm. at these things you know so yeah I mean it's not the journey I would have picked but now you're on it you can't really change the bus so do you know what exactly and as I in a strange kind of way did you kind of feel some relief you had a reason for? I think I did. Um, I had a kind of relief because although we don't Google things, um, the MS Society um, and the MS Trust have quite a, a big list of uh, possible treatments. You know, they yeah. don't really tell you the, the success rate. I mean, they give you best case scenarios where it's like 33% reduction in, in relapses yeah. or it gives you a kind of a rough idea but I think person to person it really depends just like MS person to person really depends you know one person is in a wheelchair every day one person's managing to walk around on AIDS every day yeah. um, but I think the fact that there was a there is treatments or a list of potential treatments that could work or not work was a bit of a a kind of 
I don't know, silver lining, I suppose. It's not like you've got this and there's nothing we can do. Yeah. Um, so I think that helped. Um, but then the next thing is you're hit with a list of 20 different treatments by the neurologist and, or the MS nurse, it was, sorry. Um, and then they kind of, well, I don't know how it was for you, but they asked me, you know, have a look through them and decide which one you want. I've heard, I have you know, heard that, yeah. Yeah. So it's I mean, like, I'm thinking, okay, I've not had any medical treatment. I am at training, sorry. Um, but I don't know what these things are. You know, it's things like beta inferons and different yeah. things with proteins that attacks the thing. So there's ones that dissolve cells and there's like... Oh, you're so bombarded. You're bombarded with information when you're first diagnosed. You're kind of handed leaflets, you're told to have a look at this and... The MS Society, the MS Trust, Shift.MS, everywhere is brilliant for mm. getting the information that you want. But have you found, have you spoken to people online um, or met people who have been on this medication? Because I believe you're on Ocrelizumab as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was maybe the the most done thing, but if I went on the Instagram. I think that's probably how yeah. I found you before. Yeah. Um, and you search by hashtags because you're not sure what it is, but people who post on Instagram or post on, you know, platforms that have got hashtags, it tends to be yeah. because they're experiencing it, not because they've had a bad experience of it. Um, yeah. And I think I did plague today at the start, and that was my kind of my starting treatment. Um, yeah. And I found a few people on, on plague today. Um, I mean, through the, the kind of their journey because. Oh, it's a good platform to post on a bad day to day, um, mm. or take an injection a day and three days worth of you know flu symptoms after it. It was good to try and gauge how they were with it post injection yeah. or what they were feeling three months in or six months in, um, yeah. and then yeah, we used the Ocrelizumab, um when it, it was offered to me um, during COVID, and they were a bit I don't know cagey concerned about somebody starting it mm. new during the, yeah. the pandemic. They didn't yeah, know, did they? Nah, it's obviously because it's not particularly kind on your immune system. And if there's ever a time for your immune system not to be working very well, um, during a pandemic, it's not the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I came across you, it seemed that you'd had a couple of bits and pieces um, with the Ocrelizumab, and, yeah, that's how we ended up here, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to talk to people who, I think, who've been through it, especially when you're relatively newly diagnosed. And, you know, there's not, because of the pandemic, there weren't as face-to-face so, -face groups or I guess you probably didn't see MS team as much as you could. So online and social media is a is a brilliant platform for meeting people yeah. in that way, isn't it? It's good for meeting a person as opposed to meeting, you know, a, a company or a, yeah. a group of people that are mailing something together to publish, I think. Yeah speaking to an actual person makes a difference um, yeah. but yeah I mean I'd never heard of oxalizumab or even yeah. spell it for the first six months um, <laughs> I still struggle I, think, I know well yeah but I think the, the good thing is that the fact that there was another treatment option for me because um, plegrity wasn't particularly kind to me um, yeah. you know, it, it, it can affect your liver um, and I've always had kind of I'm not a heavy drinker, not a drinker really at all. Um, but my liver results have always been high, you know, since I was in my 20s. Um, okay. It just seems to be a thing. Um, but 
the concern was Plegrady can affect that. Um, so there's three monthly bloods on Plegrady. So I started it in uh, November. I uh, didn't get my bloods done until the start of February. Um, and they came back and the double function test results were haywire. They were in the wow. hundreds and should have been in the whole 50s or, or 30s. Um, so that took like nearly six full months um, mm. with no paracetamol, no medication, with no anything for them to return to normal, be in a position to start something else. Um, but, I mean, it's good that the, the kind of protocols they've got for the three monthly bloods caught that because I think if it was six monthly bloods, it would have been a whole more grim, yeah. disappointing story. Yeah, it could have been, couldn't it? Yeah. I mean, but, I mean yeah. So I am... Um, no, 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 I was just going to say that by talking to people on the podcast, actually, it's really interesting because I was diagnosed diagnosed like 15 years ago and I, I don't really remember. There weren't obviously half as many treatments about when I was first diagnosed. And I don't really remember getting leaflets or... I think I was kind of just told you should have this drug or you should try this because there wasn't that great choice. And there wasn't this online social media there wasn't shift.ms there wasn't anywhere for me to go I suppose and so it's, and it's quite nice that you've got support 15 years ago you know the internet wasn't as yeah it, was, it wasn't as worldwide as it is now even though it's a worldwide web and um, you know it was still quite difficult to navigate the internet I mm. think probably 15 years ago um, and yeah. you know everything you were you were dependent on finding something phoning somebody up and asking, can you send me a leaflet on this as opposed to yeah. an online form for, yeah. for information. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know anyone. I, I think I knew one person who had MS, but I hadn't, you know, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know who to talk to. I, you know, you're very much in the dark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like if hand you a diagnosis, hand you an information pack and we'll see you in six months for your next MRI or your yeah. 12 months for your next MRI. I mean, I only mm. knew one person. Um, like a family friend that, that's got MS, but I hadn't really, although it's a family friend, we're not really in contact a lot. We weren't at that point yeah. in contact a lot. So you knew that um, she had it, but you didn't really know what she was going through day to day. But I mean, obviously now it's like in a, another person I speak to quite a lot because yeah. they've been on the journey a whole lot longer than me as well. Um, but the problem I found, obviously going back to the internet thing is, um, and no one ever puts a good story on. When you Google MS, no, everyone else seems to be in a wheelchair or two sticks or a, an elbow crutch or, or something. Yeah. And it's not that you feel like a kind of fraud at the start of your journey because you're not quite there yet. You know, it's just it's a part, a station you'll get to eventually um, that everyone will do at some point. Um, but that's what kind of put me off the the group chats, you know, the at the time when they were still allowed to go ahead, the, the coffee mornings, the, the sit down, yeah. chat things, um, cake and a coffee. Um, because I felt like, you know, I'd be walking in and people would be going, oh, he's supposed to see you for, he's still walking in. Um, yeah. I, I don't think for a second they would. I think from a personal kind of point of view, you start thinking, like, when I first started using my stick um, on my bad days, you feel like everyone's watching you. But in reality, yeah. no one's watching it. They're all too busy getting their own shop and they're all too busy looking in the shop windows. They're not looking at you. It's all um, in your head, isn't it? Yeah. It's all in your head. Yeah, definitely. Um, but when you park in a, a disabled spot with your blue badge and you get out of the car and you're not 90 year old, 
you know, you're not an old person. You know, people look at you and go, why is he parking there? Um, but yeah, I mean, even on your good days, you've got to try and put a limp on. Um, <laughs> just to be accepted for the blue badge. Um, I, I, I'm totally with you with the blue badge. I mean, I'm my legs obviously aren't that strong, but I'm sat in a car in a disabled space and from, you know, bottom upwards, I look absolutely fine and you've got people looking at you say, almost as if tut at you as if to say, what are you doing in that space? And then you get out of the car and you can't walk and they're like, oh. Yeah, okay. Mission accomplished. I mean, it's like yeah. that as well when you sit in it and you've got kids and the kids are in the car and then people start to judge you thinking you've got the disabled space because they've not seen the blue badge and you think, oh, kids are a bit old for a parent and child space. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, I'm not really, I'm allowed to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, just the, it's the, the battle to get over the kind of people aren't watching me sort of scenario people are too busy with their own lives people have got a lot of things in their own, their own lives that they need to deal with that aren't me parking a disabled space and walking with a stick do you know what 15 years on i don't think i've still got over that i still i still yeah. battle with that even though i know people aren't looking at me well they might be a little bit but it's all in your head yeah so. I know, I know, I th it's just yeah i think if you can deal with that battle in your head I think the rest of it just should fall into place but I think it's just it's just human nature people are looking at me because of this yeah totally right so you explained briefly well you said briefly at the start that you um you were into a sport called canicross now I'm not very good with understanding all about canicross I know that your son you've you've got basically you've got four dogs yeah four yes four yeah dogs. yeah, yeah. Okay, so go for it. You explain. You explain where you were and where you are now, and all the different situations you could go into. Yeah, I mean, well, canny cross. First of all, it's a, a sport. It's cross country running um, of a distance of either two kilometers or five kilometers, or, or sometimes further. Um, it's cross country trails with obstacles. You know, there's water, there's mud, there's tree roots, there's just a whole host of horrible surfaces to run on. Um, but while you're doing it, you're attached to your dog with a, a running belt, um, a line which is like a big bungee uh, onto a harness on the dog. So the dog kind of pulls you and helps you on your way. Um, when I was doing that, obviously I had to run. I was doing, um, did classes for it. So there was like two classes a week. Um, we were running over five kilometres twice a week. Um, there was the races, it was 14 races a year um, over a shortened kind of winter term. So it was sometimes two races a month as well as your, your training. Um, but because obviously I was starting to struggle um, eye-wise, it was becoming more of a, a hazard to myself and a hazard to other people. Mm. Um, you know, I'm tripping up on a training run that's got you know, maybe nine or ten other people on it and the leaders having to you know, change the class to accommodate me not being able to see in the darker parts yeah. of the forest or um, the bits where the, the terrain's a lot more trippy. Um, so I kind of I started to kind of withdraw a bit from that when my eyes were starting to go. But then obviously with my my legs not being great, um, yeah. I was tripping up, um, falling over, um, invisible things. Um, yeah. So yeah, I kind of came away from that a bit. Um, my son Ethan, he just started. So obviously with four dogs, he still needed exercise, and it's a good way to exercise your dog and yourself. Um, yeah. So he's taking over. So I mean, I kind of concentrate on his part of the the canny cross kind of journey now. Um, and he's doing really well at it. 
Um, he's, he's had quite a few medals, quite a few wins. Um, he took the the boys uh, eleven to fifteen um, league last year um, before obviously COVID killed it off. Um, so he's done really well with that part of it. But for myself, um, not being able to run has been quite a dramatic sort of life choice change. It was something I did yeah. every week to then not being able to do every week. Um, I can imagine. I mean, the social aspect of it, you know, I'm still seeing the same people I used to run with, um, which is quite good. I think seeing people that you had from your pre-diagnosis. Kind you're of almost like a team same. manager. You're almost like a team manager now, aren't you? Yeah, well, we did. We started Lodestar um, towards the end of 2019. Um, but then since then, you know, there's been people that's joined the team. It's um, like a ra- so, yeah, racing think, team, isn't it? Yeah. Um, for, for Canny Cross, you know, there's other ones, you know, for individual areas of the country. But we started as an independent, um, just because it was we were paying for a, a, a kit for a team that we weren't really, we were only really the last two people left in it. So, you know, if you're going to start paying for a kit that you're only two people in, you may as well pay for the kit for your own team. Um, but yeah, and I mean, we've got about eight or nine, eight or nine runners now, juniors right the way through to, you know, 50 plus. Um, so we've done quite well as far as picking up you know, team members. Um, but within the Canny Cross sort of scope, there is other things that I've managed to kind of adapt to. Um, there's Bite Jaw, which is on a mountain bike, getting pulled with the dog, um, okay. which I found quite difficult because it's a lot more difficult to jump off a mountain bike if you're in trouble. Um, yeah. Having that yeah. seat um, and everything like that, you're quite high up. Yeah. Um, so they do something called Scooter Jaw, which is a a mountain bike sized framed um scooter or kit bike um where the dog pulls you they look amazing as well they look good and then you can get up to some some really good speeds you know 20 plus mile an hour um, <laughs> scary but i think that, yeah it is a little bit um obviously you've got a helmet and gloves and all those kind of things to help protect you um the dog does most of the work on the scooter you know because there's not yeah. that much resistance to pull a, it, keeps you, it keeps it keeps you involved in it and if it's something you want to do I mean yeah. I know you're involved in the team but if you still wanted to not necessarily compete or still do workouts with the dogs you can yeah I mean it's like everything you can you manage it on your good days um, yeah, if I was totally. a bad day there's no way I could stand on on the scooter and get pulled um, but on my good days or even my almost good days I would push myself to do it anyway yeah. um, knowing that you can give yourself two or three days or two or three four days after to try and sort your legs back out. Um, I think my legs yeah. get really fatigued, even with, you know, I've got a knee brace on one side, so my knee keeps giving way, and I've got a, a foot drop, kind of lower leg thing on the, the my left leg. Um, you know, even with those, it's still a struggle sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's not enough to put me off. Um, I feel like you need to do it. If you don't do it now, then a year from now, you might not be positioned to be able to do it. Yeah. So if you push yourself to do it, then you're not losing anything because it's not like you can, you know, actively stop what's going on inside your head. It's going to happen yeah. regardless of what you do this week or next week or next year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's that's where I am with with the Canny Cross. I'm enjoying yeah. it. Um, done a couple of virtual races over the the kind of lockdown, and they were putting on virtual races. Obviously, you couldn't meet in a race setting. How um, did they How did they do that? Um, you basically signed up 
um, you found a five kilometre or a two kilometre, depending on what, what race you were doing, um, route near your own home, okay. uh, recorded it on your Garmin, um, produced your um, evidence that you've ran it or scootered it or whatever you've done, whatever class okay. you've entered. Um, they compiled the results and then did an online sort of Facebook Live um, with the prize given sort of thing. Then they posted out your medals if you want any. Um, I managed well, a third nice. in the tour. Um, well that was the, I know, it wasn't bad. Um, it's good to keep the wheels on the, the bottom of the scooter and they go up in the air, it's not great. Um, but yeah, managed third. Ethan got a couple of medals. Um, there was team events as well. So, most of um, managed to take. Um, pretty much all the team wins um, and all of the lockdowns wow. apart from, from one, one of the virtual at the end. Um, Pretty good. Compiled time of everybody then divided by the number of people in the team. Um, so we did well with that. Um, so they gave you things like free race entry, you know, so it kind of took the financial burden off as well during lockdown because not everyone was in a position to splash money on races, you know. Yeah. Some people were struggling to buy milk. Isn't that, um, isn't that brilliant that they managed to find a way around it and I suppose it's kind of like with MS you are finding a way around things you're trying to problem solve aren't you in a way yeah you're always trying to find something that works for you yeah um, or a way around something that works for you and I think I've been quite lucky and um, we have uh, a reach thing I don't know if you have a reach thing NHS England um, mm. it's like a hub where you've got um, physio, occupational therapy, speech and language therapy, orthotics, it's all based in the same place. Not that uh, I've heard of. Kind of. Well, they all talk to each other um, about Ever? you sort of thing and they find out what's best for you and then they all kind of see you individually or as a, a pair or whatever. Um, so I think, you know, occupational therapy, um, I always thought occupational therapy or occupational health was a purely work-related thing um, yeah. because you only ever hear of it in a work setting. Um, but then she can explain to me it's how you occupy your space. It's not how you occupy a certain role. Um, okay. So they were really good as far as giving me strategies to try and find ways around things or, or what works for you. It's kind of, I think that was the headline of one of the maybe pamphlets, what works for you, um, to try and find ways of things that work best for you in your environment. Um, so I think you know, that's helped, obviously. I've got the kind of, I think I've got the mindset of, oh, let's try it and see what happens. You know, if you fall over, it's only four or five feet and then the ground stops you anyway. Um, but I think, yeah, support-wise from them has been really good. Um, and that sort of helped put the mindset stuff into action or into, you know, sort of, I can think of the word, practice, into practice. That's a brain fog thing. That's an MS thing as well. Right, I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to, say goodbye and say thank you so so much for coming on and chatting to me today i think that's really really interesting you're welcome really interesting and i think people will really associate with what you have said and talking about canny cross and how you've kind of adapted your life to suit you i suppose yeah. so yeah uh, thank you no worries Remember, if anything we've discussed today has affected you, remember to talk to your MS team or go to one of the trusted MS websites. Alternatively, you can email us at littlemssunshinepodcast at mail.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook.